everyone, and welcome to Inspired Voices, Fort Wayne Community School's official podcast. Every week, we're going to highlight our amazing educators, leaders, programs, students, and more. Stick around because we're going to give you an inside look at some of the things that we're doing to prepare our young people for the future. Okay, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. This is our very first podcast from the shutdown, so I'm excited. We're using a little bit different strategy for how we record the audio for this, so um, I hope that it works out okay, but I appreciate you guys listening in. I am really excited because today I'm talking to one of our principals at Abbott Elementary, um, Frank Klein, and I'm going to let Frank introduce himself to you, but uh, I think you're going to love this conversation. We're a little all over the place on what we're going to talk about, but I think it's going to be a good conversation, uh, so you'll definitely want to listen to this one. So Frank, thanks for being on the show. Hey, good morning, Jen, and thank you, uh, everyone, for um, potentially tuning in and listening to what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, Again, as Jen said, I'm Frank Klein. I am the very proud principal of Abbott Elementary, and I am concluding my third year, not exactly how I wanted to conclude it, uh, but we're concluding our third year here. Um, Prior to this, I was at Lincoln Elementary for five years and had a great time at the Lincoln Lions, and prior to that, I spent five years as the uh, very proud principal of Maplewood. Elementary and the Maplewood Eagles was just a fantastic learning adventure for me. So uh, I've been in the district for 27 years, and, and this is the most unusual time in my 27 years. Uh, obviously, probably for anyone who's in education right now, they could say the same thing. Uh, but uh, one of the things I just want to stress real quick before we get started in our conversation is, um, you know, how much that I, I greatly appreciate uh, everything that my team has done for me so far. I have some fantastic, wonderful people that work with me every day. Um, most of it obviously uh, via video and, and email and phone calls and texts, but uh, we've, we've kept in contact and people are doing wonderful things. And I know that every building in foreign community schools has the same thing going on. I am very confident of that. And so uh, I'm very proud to work for the school system and to just look around and seeing what everyone is doing. Uh, just makes me very proud to be here right now um, in this very challenging time. And I know that we are going to push ahead and do some great, wonderful things. Awesome, thanks Frank. Well, before we jump into sort of sort of current state of where we're at, um, before the shutdown, what was your favorite part of your job? Oh, <laughs> there's so many. Uh, one of the favorite things I really liked, um, coming in in the morning, and when the students come in, because we do our um, arrival a little differently because uh, we've taken some trauma-sensitive approaches. And so all of our students come in the building about five, 10 minutes before the rest of the district. So at 7.55, we open the doors, students come into the gym. Uh, what I've learned is my kids really like um, sort of dance music or pop music. So uh, Kids Bop has become one of my favorite things to tune in. And I'll have that rocking in the gym when they come in, in the mornings and you'll see the kids kind of bit bopping coming in. They know where they sit, they go to their place. It gives me an opportunity to kind of walk around and touch base with some kids. When we were allowed the high five, we were doing lots of high fives and fist bumps. Uh, but it was also an opportunity for us to take a look and see who might be a little challenged. And we were able to get ahead of um, what might have been a potential behavior issue for a child that day, because we were able to get ahead of it. And what I really enjoyed about that time is um, learning about my students and sometimes some things you learn are very heartbreaking but I'm a very relational person and so um, you know I, I really enjoy problem solving those things and, and working through that so it, the, the things we did were heartbreaking 
Um, but that's one of the parts of my job that gave me joy was to help students overcome um, some of their adversities and to see them refocus and get started on the day and to be successful at school. That's excellent. Okay, so we're going to jump a couple questions because we kind of dove into um, one of the things that the district-wide has been working on, which is the social-emotional strategies to help students be ready to learn and ready to be in the classroom um, to be as successful as they can be. So um, I specifically want you to talk about that because I think Abbott has really done a tremendous job of adopting these strategies. And I don't think most people um, may know externally what this all means. And, and it may sound kind of like a foo-foo, you know, yoga or mindfulness. And, and so we've heard those terms, but I don't think people really understand exactly what social emotional strategies are meant to do for students. And so I do want you to talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned dance and, and using high fives and kind of identifying when students are having a rough time and helping them through that. Um, what has that meant for Abbott? And can you explain a little bit about um, how you guys got to where you're at and what it's, what's been the result for students? Thank you. Um, I got to do a little history lesson here, and please forgive me on that. But if you, for anyone knows the history of our school, uh, we have had a, um, for lack of better words, a serial turnover of principals here since 2000. And uh, when I start my fourth year, I will be the first principal to start a fourth year in the school. And when you have that kind of a turnover, and I'm not blaming anyone, it just it's just what's happened. Uh, but when you have that kind of turnover, uh, it's really hard to build consistency. And I think what and what's happened over the years is with the lack of consistency in the building, uh, it's really been hard for students and families to kind of grab a hold of, of uh, expectations. And so uh, one of the things with social emotional learning that we have done is set expectations. And we, in my first year here, I'm not sure I did anything miraculous. It was really a learning curve for us as we were trying to get a hold of uh, the culture of the building and, and um, you know, some of the instructional pieces we had to work on. So we had a lot of work to do, but by the end of that year, uh, my coach and um, my assistant principal at the time had attended um, a seminar where Dr. Bruce Perry and Dr. Lori Desitel and others talked about students with adversities and, and students uh, who came from some challenging backgrounds. And they came to me and basically said, you know, everything we're doing is not right. We are doing exactly what our kids don't need. And, and basically what I was doing was following what I believe to be true of, of a, sort of a, a um, um, if you break a rule, there's a consequence, break a rule, consequence sort of mentality that, that I know a lot of us have been trained to do, and that's just kind of a system of, of how schools have been. Um, so we came to the conclusion we're taking a trauma-informed approach in the following year. So my second year, uh, we started doing that. We started doing a lot more research. Um, uh, we, we, got hooked up with um, Dr. Disatel, especially after listening to her present to the, at the district level. And then I'm fortunate enough to have her work with us at a school level, uh, working on different strategies and things. And um, everything was successful. We had some areas where we tried it, we had short-term success, and then, um, but long-term it didn't work and we had to make adjustments. Uh, but I think the biggest change has been the mindset change uh, with my staff. One of the things we learned about having the trauma-informed approaches uh, First of all, it's not my fault what I did before that uh, things weren't going well, but I've got to own the responsibility for what I do in the future. And, and so, you know, that, that really helped my staff to understand that we were just doing wrong things. It wasn't at anyone's fault, and we were just not doing the right things. And so when we start doing the right things, we'll get the right results. 
one of the things we've noticed is it takes us about a semester of learning and digging in and, and learning these new approaches to where we see impact on student behavior. And we saw that, uh, we really saw our data hit a kind of a, what I would call a cross point in uh, January 2019. And from that point forward, when you do a month to month comparison to the previous year, you see a significant drop in student um, behavior referrals, um, student suspension days uh, falling off tremendously, especially since last year to this year. Uh, and it's, it, it, I mean, it wasn't a miracle. Uh, but it's just been an, a day-to-day -day approach, and we have not arrived at anything yet. We still have some very challenging struggles ahead. But when I look at where we sat in the fall of um, 2018, when we created our Students of Concern list, and we had um, 125 students on that list, and then we started in the fall of 19, creating that same list, and we had 22 on the list. Uh, that's, the, that's when I knew that we were really, the approaches we were taking were making a significant difference in students. We were able to uh, partner with uh, Bowen and uh, other service agencies to uh, help get families services they need that may be a little beyond what we were able to do. Uh, my uh, therapeutic counselor, Mr. Griffin, has uh, formed groups and then works with some students individually. Uh, we have many adults that, that may not have a classroom that have adopted certain students. And when we say adopted, it's basically if we know that student is going to be challenged with something or if they're having a challenge in the classroom, we have really gotten good at which adults can help which students and, and work through things. And the next step that we uh, weren't quite as successful in this year that I really want to implement next year is uh, uh, providing a support opportunity for the classroom teacher. And so if the classroom teacher needs a, you know, we, we did some of it this year, but the classroom need, teacher needs that moment to kind of regroup, reset themselves when a situation comes up. We, we, we really need to have a more comprehensive approach to do that. And that's really our next step. Also in our next step is to uh, reconnect the teacher and the student, because a lot of times a student, um, you know, will, will have to come out of the room for a few minutes. And we don't always do it on discipline referral. A lot of times we just walk with them, we'll talk with them, help them get resettled. If they need a snack, we'll provide a snack, water, restroom break, whatever it takes. Um, but we didn't connect that or reconnect that relationship uh, break between the student and the classroom teacher. And so when we reintroduce the student back into the classroom, um, oftentimes it's really hard for the student to hit that comfort zone again, so to speak. And, and that's just the, and that's something on the leadership side we need to help uh, facilitate. And that's our next logical step in that. I'm so glad you mentioned the adult side of this because so often we think about student impact and, and the things that we're doing for students, but um, we know that this is a balanced strategy for both students and adults because, let's be really honest, education is not an easy, um, it's not an easy career and, and being a teacher in a classroom um, is not always great and so sometimes I think teachers and adults do need that that a permission that it's okay you know what you're feeling and thinking um, but having those strategies to also help them so I'm so glad that you said that was a part of your next steps because um, I do think it is a balance between both students and adults um, both being you know mentally and, and emotionally healthy and, and I think that's critical for success in the classroom oh I agree yeah. I'm looking forward to the t-shirt designer that comes up with a shirt that says teaching is not for sissies because I will tell you this is yeah and and I'm a I'm an 18 year veteran and so I I part time in a full time military 
And I can tell you that this is as equally hard as my time in the military. This is a very, very challenging uh, career. And, and I tell people who interview for my school I, up front, I say, you know, this is probably one of the hardest schools in district you ever worked for. However, it is also one of the most rewarding um, because what, you know, the hard work you put in, you do see the rewards in it. And, and we don't have time for me to go down the list of hundreds that I could give you, but I will tell you, you see that reward in it. And, and we don't, and I'm not blaming, again, it's not a blame game. We don't pay people enough and we don't thank people enough for the job they do for us each and every day in Point Community Schools. But uh, that thanks comes from, and those, those pennies uh, in your pocket come from the smiles you get from children. Um, right now for us, if you followed our Facebook page, uh, Ms. Rice did a nice job of collecting some videos from families during Teacher Appreciation Week. And that was probably the most um, positive piece I think anyone could have done for my teachers. It just to have the children, you know, parents taking time to video their children and uploading that up to my coach uh, to say, you know, thank you and we miss you, you know, because we need to hear that from the kids. You know, teaching is a two-way relationship. And, and uh, anyone who goes into this profession not understanding that probably needs to do something else. Uh, teaching is a two-way relationship. And, and the kids feed us as much as we feed them. And if, you know, if you've been teaching and you don't understand that, I don't know that you've really been teaching, and, and that sounds kind of cruel, but that's just how it is. It is a very much a two-way relationship. So uh, with adult care, one thing I do want to go on that before we move on is um, we were fortunate enough a couple years ago, um, a gentleman, I believe is Ted Westerhoff from um, Bowen, came and talked with my teachers, and uh, um, he, it was the spring of my first year, and he talked about compassion fatigue probably one of the most important conversations we ever had. Uh, very impactful because, uh, you know, when you're in the middle of this, sometimes you, you start to question yourself and you start, you know, when things aren't going well, your dad is not moving. Uh, you've had a couple of really, really rough weeks with kids. You start to question yourself and, and, and start beating yourself up on things. And what he said was, you know, you, you think you're burned out, but it's not burnout, it's compassion fatigue. Sometimes when you pour and you pour and you pour in yourself, and you're not getting anything in return, you know, you start to wear yourself out a little bit. And one of the things that I see the district has really been doing a great job promoting this is self-care. And that is one of the ways that you can really tamper down that compassion fatigue is self-care. Uh, we have done some things here this year. We scheduled um, a few yoga sessions in um, December and January. That was what we did for professional learning on mornings. And you know, it was kind of a nice bump for my staff because they didn't have to dress up those days. I'm like, you know, okay, just wear comfortable clothes so you can come into yoga. Uh, uh, quote, mandatory fun, but actually everyone enjoyed it. Everyone on the staff that came in and did yoga class enjoyed it. It was, I had never done yoga before, uh, but it was just a self-care piece. We just tried to introduce, I can't make you do self-care every day, but we just, I think as leaders, we need to introduce opportunities for that and um, show people different ways to, that they can take care of themselves and then be cognizant when people need, that. you know, I, I try very hard um, not to approach my teachers during their lunchtime. You know, lunch is, that's your time. In fact, I, I'll stop in um, the break room now and again, but they also need, they need a break for me now and again too, uh, to uh, have open conversations with the bosses and around. I get that. Uh, and, and sometimes that's some self-care pieces too. So as a leader, I've got to be cognizant of what's going on with my team. Um, I also have to be aware of what's going on with myself. And I'm fortunate enough to have a team around me 
uh, that once in a while they'll say, Mr. Klein, you need to, you know, I got this. You need to step back a little bit. And I think um, they've really taught me some humility on, on, um, on, on trying to think of the way I want to phrase it. They've taught me that I am not Superman. And then I need also to take some of those breaks and when it's necessary to uh, do it. So. Sounds like a good team. <laughs> um, so obviously we are in a very unique state um, of education during the shutdown um, due to COVID-19. I don't think any of us could have possibly anticipated what was going to happen when we started the school year and how we would end it. Um, but what I've been so impressed with was how, with how quickly our schools have adapted to just the change in how, how you have a relationship with a student now digitally and how do you stay connected with them. And I think Abbott has really done an amazing job uh, through this transition. And so I do want to talk a little bit about how has your team's education strategy changed um, through all of this and, and how you're reaching students. And what has that meant for your staff and also for your students? Great question. And um, let me start out by saying I wish we would have been more prepared as, as a school. I can't speak for the rest of the district. Um, but uh, as a school, and this is uh, one of the things that I've um, has been part of my learning curve this spring, um, we had we were all over the map originally on um, using the LMS and some digital platforms. I had everyone had a minimal use of it. And we'll start there. But then I had some teachers, obviously, that had really had some advanced knowledge on using digital platforms and had been using it all along. So when we had to transition into um, the, the distance learning, which obviously had the digital components to it, we had to come up to speed real quick. And one of the things that really amazed me, and this would have been prior to spring break, one of our first Zoom meetings uh, as a staff, I'm just trying to get some ideas out there. Okay, we need to work on LMS pages and making sure those are up and different things. And I had teachers popping right in. Oh, I'm using Seesaw for this, and here's how this works. And and um, other teachers are saying, oh, here's what I'm using. And and then when, when I had staff members that had questions about it, they're like, oh, okay, here's how you do this. Or call me later, and I'll walk you through it. Uh, and really, it's been amazing. Uh, I will say one of the things we did and hindsight being 2020, I would have added a couple more weeks to it. In December, we did a, uh, for our professional learning, we did sort of a tech fair. And so I have some people who are experts in different areas. Um, I allow teachers to choose which person do you want to go see for the next couple of weeks, and they'll walk you through some technology pieces. So we sort of had some pieces put in place on that, but I had not set my expectations as high. Now let's talk about how we transition. I thought my transition went pretty quick into we're now doing digital technology learning and you're going to have to get up to speed yesterday on how to make this happen. So uh, one of the first things was my, uh, my coach and my uh, assistant principal and I in one of our leadership times, uh, we each got our cell phones out and we started logging on. How, did, how easy is it to access um, the LMS with a phone? That may be the only piece of technology a lot of our kids have access to. Um, how easy is it to get to um, uh, Dreambox or how easy is it to get to Epic or something, you know? And, and we worked through a lot of different pieces and some things we learned that are easier to do than others. It's easy, pretty easy to log in through Clever. Um, it's not as easy to get onto uh, the LMS via the phone. It's a lot easier if you have a computer or a Chromebook or something like that. 
So those are our, our learning pieces. And then uh, my coach put together a, a video on how to get to Clever. And we put that on our Facebook page. And we've, we've got it on our YouTube page, uh, our YouTube account, excuse me. And uh, so that's been very helpful, just having those how-to instructional videos. I've had three of my teachers so far become um, what they call Seesaw Ambassadors. So we can come together. They're actually trained to trainers now. They've taken some additional coursework during this um, downtime, I shouldn't call it downtime, but just distant time, to um, better themselves. I've had a lot of teachers who have worked on different other areas, um, such as Dreambox. Uh, my assistant principal has really used um, PBIS Rewards in this new digital world that we're in. And uh, PBIS Rewards was something we used um, during the school year. Instead of writing out a, um, a handwritten ticket when you saw a student or class doing something well, we would just get on our phones and we could do it digitally. And it was a time saver. The kids could go on their Clever accounts. They could see how many points they had. And then they could cash their points in for certain awards. So my assistant principal has uh, really done a great job of working with PBS Rewards and how do we extend uh, this process that the kids already understand into the home. And so we have a process now where parents can email their classroom teacher and say, uh, my child has been really helping in with doing dishes, been doing some extra chores. And then as a classroom teacher, we can assess and add more points to their account. And we've done some raffles recently. I think we've given away a bike and a couple of Chromebooks. Um, and when the kids enter raffles using their PBIS points, uh, they can buy into different things. No one has bought into the uh, Mr. Klein makeover yet. I'm a little surprised by that. Um, but there are some things that they can buy into. And, uh, and then we would do some Zoom time or something like that. Um, every one of my grade levels have had a grade level Zoom and they're trying to do it weekly now that's different than a classroom Zoom. A classroom Zoom would be more of just having the kids come together and really work on some uh, items and do some things like that. The grade level Zoom is a little less academic and a little more focused on the social emotional pieces uh, where they will do um, like walk through what would normally be a morning meeting here for us at Abbott. Um, you know, we, there might be some share time and we've learned some things about kids during that. Uh, one student shared that, that it's been very lonely because her mom works an essential job where she has to be at work every day. And so um, she's at home alone a lot. Um, and, and so we were able to learn that and then set up some connection pieces. Here's so-and-so's cell number, or here's a, a way that you can reach out to someone using your technology. So we've really, that's been very eye-opening for us when we've done those Zooms. Uh, but we've also uh, had a um, strong relationship um, with uh, one of my teachers, rather, has a strong relationship with a uh, uh, pizza company here in town and so we've been able to give away pizzas to families um, when the kids zoom in we've done some raffles for that so we've done a lot of stuff that way um, uh, the really big thing I've learned is um, the easier it is for kids to get to a piece of technology the more likely they are to use it and that is one thing I think we need to look at um, down the road is how do we streamline access to technology and, and that's the same with, with uh, online registration. That's the same with, you know, you know doing census, anything. Uh, because, you know, again, as, as you and I talked about before we started the podcast, people of a certain age, like mine, um, are immigrants to technology. And so uh, when you're an immigrant to technology, you're kind of, you, you know, you're looking for the easiest way in. When you are someone of my children's age of uh, 16 and 18, 
you know, you, you're a native to it and they can just whip right through things and they know, you know, cause they've grown up with it. Uh, but there is a, I, for everyone there's a frustration point with technology. And that is if it's not streamlined and we can't get to something, you know, one, two, three button clicks out, then we're going to give up on it. And, and that's the, I think that's our next learning direction is how do we streamline uh, technology, uh, not just making it available. Having a device is one thing, making it available within one or two keystrokes so that we are actually doing the things we need to do on there instead of spending a lot of time trying to get to it. Thanks again for listening this week. This was part one of my conversation with Frank, so please make sure you tune in next week for part two. Uh, Frank and his team are doing some amazing things at Abbott Elementary, and so I hope you'll tune in next week to continue to hear what they're up to and uh, how they're working to impact their students. So thanks for listening this week. I'll see you next time.